You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Today's guest is Joanne Levy Sewellman. Joanne is a registered dietitian who has a private practice with her husband in Needham, Massachusetts. She is an anti-diet dietitian who specializes in working with individuals with eating disorders and disordered eating. She works through a health at every size lens, focusing on intuitive eating and helping her patients discover a more peaceful relationship with food and their bodies. Joanne self-identifies as a fat practitioner and is passionate about fat liberation and justice issues for all bodies. Joanne is also a mother to a four-year-old daughter and is trying to raise her to be relaxed around food and confident in her body while navigating diet culture every day. In this episode, we talk about Joanne's journey to body acceptance and food freedom and how she navigates parenting in a diet culture-filled world. If you're a parent, aunt, uncle, guardian, or someone who works with kids, or maybe you hope to have kids one day yourself, or maybe you just are curious about how to be a better role model around children, this is the episode for you, and I know that you're going to learn so much from my conversation with Joanne today. Hey, Joanne, how are you today? I'm so good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, just coming off of the Halloween high. You know, it was a great night for me to watch some scary movies, had some of my favorite candy. How was your Halloween? Halloween was awesome. My little one went trick-or-treating for the first time. She's four, and uh, she dressed up as a little old lady. <gasps> and it was it was pretty amazing. It was actually her idea to dress that up that way. And it was it was a look, I got to say. <laughs> but it was fun and, you know, just went around the neighborhood and got candy, all that fun stuff. Oh, I love that. So what did she wear to look like a little? So it's actually, I mean, I feel kind of, it's silly because like in this day and age, Amazon is like, you can look for anything on Amazon. Back in my day, you had to make your own costumes. Mm-hmm. But now you can look up little old lady costume for like a toddler and there it is. And so like it came with like a little gray wig and a, a little handkerchief that goes over it pearls, a house coat, a shawl. I mean, it was just to the nines. Oh, and glass, like special glasses. Like she just was adorable. And I love it. I think it was like one of my favorite costumes of hers that she's been born. (laughs) I think that's so cool. When I was a kid, we definitely made costumes. And I just remember my mom, we were always in a cold area. So she'd like try to incorporate a sweatshirt into the costume. Like she'd sew a princess skirt onto a sweatshirt and like here's your outfit you're a princess I'm like a princess with a hoodie (laughs) you know what you got to make do when you are in cold climate (laughs) so (laughs) yeah yeah so true oh well I'm so glad you had a good Halloween and I'm really excited to just dive in with you today about 
everything we're planning to chat about. There are a few topics we're going to dive into, but before we go into all of that, I'd love to hear about your journey about becoming a dietitian. How did you get involved in this space? So my journey was a little bit circuitous. It wasn't quite direct. My first degree that I got in college was for psychology. So I was a psych major for my bachelor's degree. And I mean, I'd always been fascinated by the human mind and why people do what they do. And my original thought was, I want to be a therapist. I want to help people. And then I kind of switched course after a while when I just didn't, it didn't really click with me that much Mm -hmm. after a few years. And I actually became a massage therapist. Wow. Yeah, I really went in a different direction. So I went to massage therapy school. I worked as a massage therapist for a few years, but then my body decided it did not like that. My shoulder, I kept on getting tears in my shoulder and my physical therapist and my, you know, doctors were saying, listen, if you continue to do this career, you're going to need a new shoulder. So I said, hmm, maybe I should think of something else. And one of my clients, one of my massage clients was in school to become a dietitian. And I remember thinking, huh, that's interesting. I've always been interested in food and nutrition. I, maybe I would be a good dietitian. And that's kind of where it started. It also started with my own disordered food and body stuff much earlier, but that's how I sort of made my way into becoming a dietitian. Mm. Well, yeah. first of all, I love your freedom of choice. Like you <laughs> went all different directions. You're exploring everything. I think that's rare to find like people making multiple career jumps, but it's great because you, I'm sure are bringing so much of all of those trainings into like the career you have today, right? I do feel like they do have helped me for sure. The mind body connection. I mean, I think wanting to help people feel better in their bodies definitely plays into what I do now. So I don't regret the things that I've done in the past. They've gotten to be where I am today. Mm, Yes, I love it. So you mentioned the kind of like stuck in the diet cycle, body image stuff from when you you were younger. What did that look like for you? I mean, it started from when I was a little kid. I always remember feeling like a big kid, like a, a fat kid. I look at pictures now and I think, why did I think that? Because I look at myself and I look completely like an average, typical kid mm-hmm. body. Maybe compared to some of my peers, I was definitely larger, but not in a way that I would single me out and be like, oh yeah, there's a the fat kid right there. Um, not that there's anything wrong with being the fat kid, but I just it's just interesting to me to look back now and think how mm-hmm. that became my identity, even though it wasn't really true. So as I grew up in my household, there was a lot of diet talk, weight talk, morality around thinness, morality around food. And I think that just sort of got in my brain and in my body and affected me and especially affected me when I became a teenager. I remember starting diets from when I was like 12. I think I went on Jenny Craig, which my mom let me do, which I now think like, I wish that she hadn't. But, you know, she was just doing the best of what she could at that time. And then, you know, throughout high school and into my 20s, I was doing a lot of dieting. I was engaging in different plans. I was, you know, restricting. I was whatever it was. Obviously, my weight went down and it would go up. And yeah, I mean, I I think it's not unlike many people's issues. I feel like most of my patients have struggled with 
these types of things as well. I was never formally diagnosed with an eating disorder, although at times I feel like I could have possibly been diagnosed with atypical anorexia. But, you know, so that, that's kind of how things kind of started in my childhood, in my adolescence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's really hard almost to avoid growing up in the era, you know, that we did, which is diet cultures everywhere. Jenny Craig's normalized, Weight Watchers normalized, you know, it was in my household too at times. And like, you know, we're all just products of that environment quite often among other things, but. Yeah, we're all, we're all swimming in the soup together. And (laughs) in my household, it was very soupy. I don't know how to say it. We just, you know, there was a lot of concern about weight gain and health, you know, which was more about what people looked like than health, but you know. So yeah, that's just the product of the times, I think. Yeah, I find that it's interesting how you had that experience of feeling like the fat kid when you were actually kind of like a normal bodied kid, quote normal, you know. And I kind of noticed that with so many of like maybe my friends. I've been in a straight body my whole life, but like some of my friends who were considered like the fat kids, quote unquote, like looking at photos of them when they were little, they were just normal. I keep saying the word normal, but like, right. well, it's like your average kid who's just living life. How yeah. do you think that they were so much different? It's just, I think when you look in contrast to maybe some of the kids that you're around. And so I grew up in a town that just had lots of skinny stick figure kids. And, you know, I was not built like that. And, you know, I had a little tummy. I wasn't like, very, very large, but, you know, comparatively, I felt large. And I think my family kind of reinforced that message with me, you know, around my food choices and around body talk and stuff like that. No, I did never got teased for my weight. I never got like picked on because of my weight. Yeah, I feel lucky about that because I know that that's such a horrible experience for kids today and also kids back in my day. But, you know, I think it's just in the environment that I grew up in, my body was slightly larger than others and it felt like a huge difference, even though it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is that's so difficult, but I understand the world. If you're just living in that comparison, it can feel that way. So yeah, that actually reminds me on one of your blog posts you wrote, you mentioned that you kind of came out as a fat person, like you identified yes. that way. And I love that you worded it in that way and that you kind of present it in that way. Can you tell me what prompted you to do that and how did that feel? I think it's it was a long time coming. I have always been in a larger body. At times it's been small fat, which is, you know, there's different types of fat that the fat community kind of agrees upon. But at other times I've been mid-fat. Other times I've been at the very high size of straight size. And, you know, it really, it came from learning from the other fat activists that I know and who I've admired. And really trying to reclaim the word fat as something that's not a negative, that is just a descriptor, but is used by so many people to be hurtful. And I think that's where it kind of came from. And I have a lot of time, this was over the pandemic when I wrote that blog and my weight was definitely shifting during that time as lots of people's weights were. And I don't know, it just, it felt like I want to talk about this and I want to get this out there and I don't want to be feeling the shame of being in a larger body because there is no shame to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it was scary. It definitely was scary. I definitely had some anxiety about writing that piece and publishing it. But 
you know, I felt like I got a lot of positive reaction from it and I'm glad that I did it. Mm. What were some of the reactions that you received, if you remember any? I mean, I got definitely a lot of people saying, this is exactly how I feel. Thank you for saying this out loud. You know, I appreciate you talking about this so openly. My family, you know, I got some really positive feedback from members of my family saying, I had no idea. You know, I had no idea that this is what you've been going through. And it's great to finally know what's been happening. And just, I think people feel less alone when they see someone say like, I'm fat and there's nothing wrong with that. And this is just the body that I'm in. Mm-hmm. It's all good, you know? Yeah, the ownership of that and not shaming yourself for it. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Did you, in that experience, I'm imagining this could have happened. Did you find a shift within yourself because you decided, you know, to just reclaim the word fat? And it feels like you're no longer resisting it. Like when someone says that, was that happening for you on any level? Absolutely. I mean, I think all throughout my life or much of my early life, fat was such an awful thing to be. You know, fat was like the last thing you wanted to be. It was a scary idea. I didn't want to be that. I wanted to be as far away from that as I could. And I spent much of my life trying to avoid being that. And when I sort of learned more about fat positivity and fat liberation, it really just was like refreshing. And also it was exhilarating. And it was also very strange because <laughs> it was really relearning language. It was really relearning how to talk about myself mm. and to talk about bodies. Yeah, it was very interesting. It was it was a huge shift in my mentality. And yeah, it was more about, okay, I'm not going to hide this body anymore. I'm not going to try to be something that I'm not or appear something that I'm not. I'm in a fat body and that's okay. And, you know, I'm many other things as well. Woo! I think that's okay. <laughs> I just want to like give you a round of applause because I think when you own something that there's shame around, whether it's body size or something else, it gives people permission to own it themselves and like to release shame as well. So I give you a lot of credit for that. Just being that person who's okay writing about it on a blog and just going for it, you know? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So has your experience living in a fat body impacted your work as a dietitian? And how so? I definitely think it has impacted my work as a dietitian. I mean, I think when I first started as a dietitian, I wasn't quite in health at every size yet. I didn't know much about fat liberation at all. And I was still trying to fight my body. Mm. And so I think I felt a lot of shame and a lot of embarrassment. Being a dietitian who, you know, people say like, if you're a dietitian, you should be in a a healthy quote unquote looking body. And I mean, I was small fat, but, you know, still, wouldn't you think that a dietitian should be in a straight size body? And so I remember feeling a lot of anxiety around that. And my first job was in an eating disorder center. And so that at least was a little bit of a different population. And so it was more about It was actually more psychological than anything. But I do remember thinking, I wonder if the patients are kind of like, what is she talking about? (laughs) Why does she want to make us like her? (laughs) You know, that kind of thing. And so I definitely think that it impacted me that way earlier on in my career. But as I found health at every size and as I found fat liberation, I feel like it's been an interesting addition to have in the room with me. It's been an interesting topic for people sometimes to say, like, I'm afraid of being in a fat body, you know, and, and, Sometimes they'll comment on my body and then we'll sort of talk about it and just say, so what's scary about that? Tell me more. What do you think that equates to? As 
you know, over the pandemic, we switched over to telehealth. So that has really shifted things quite a bit, interestingly, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. really you can only see me from my chest up. And so my body doesn't play that much of a role in my work with my patients currently. Hopefully we will go back to in-person at some point and we can get back to that work. But yeah, so that's how I would say it has impacted me. Interesting. Yeah. So through your work, you mentioned like in your earlier days, you had these insecurities, then you discovered health at every size and body liberation, movements, fat liberation. Where are you now when it comes to your own body image and relationship with food? That's a good question. I think, you know, it's ever evolving. I do feel like I've made so much progress in my relationship with food, especially. I used to be very, you know, back in my 20s and early 30s, my kitchen looked very different and my rules around food were very different. Now I do not have rules and there's abundance and there's choice and there's freedom. And it's really interesting to sort of think back like 15 years ago, how my kitchen would have looked, you know, compared to now. My body image has definitely been slower to come online, but I think that's just the product of the fat phobic society that we live in. Mm. And so I, you know, it's gotten so much better. And I think part of that is also becoming a mother and having a daughter. I don't know, like it really does change your feelings about your body quite a bit. And so that has helped me enormously, but I still struggle. I still have days where I'm like, you know, not loving what I see in the mirror, but it's easier for me to move past that now than it was like 10 years ago, for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, I love to hear that your experience of becoming a mom has helped. I know there's so many moms who listen to this podcast. How did becoming a mom change things for you with your body image? I think it started even, you know, with the pregnancy. I was in awe of my body and that it actually was doing what it was meant to do in some cases. No, not not for everybody. Obviously, not everyone's body is meant to do it, but it was just doing its natural thing. And it was developing this human. And it was just really amazing. I remember just being completely, it was like an alien. Like It was like an alien experience. And I did. <laughs> it's it totally is. like that. I don't, I haven't had kids, but I have a bunch of friends having kids right now. And I'm like, this feels like they're growing like an alien in their dying. It totally does. I'm not going to lie. It really feels... <laughs> Bizarre. And I do remember sort of having some thoughts about my body as it was changing during pregnancy. And, you know, being in a larger body, I feel like my pregnancy was much less visible in certain ways Mm. because it took a long while for me to show. And when I did show, I just kind of looked like slightly fatter me, (laughs) not like, you know, the typical, stereotypical pregnant person, which is, you know, they're, they're very thin body and then a bump, you know, a very sizable bump. Mine, I just looked like a bigger Joanne, which, <laughs> you know, and, and in some ways it was nice because I could be incognito a bit more and mm-hmm. didn't get so much attention. And in other ways, I felt kind of sad because I kind of wanted more like, oh, look at you, pregnant lady, you know, like, congratulations, all that kind of stuff. I had to go, like go out of my way and be like, I'm pregnant, just so you know. <laughs> That's why I'm not drinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we we went on our baby moon, like we went on a ho- like holiday for our baby moon, and they kept on trying to give us champagne because they thought it was our honeymoon. And I kept on being like, "There's a baby in here, like I'm pregnant," <laughs> but I can't have this. And it was, I mean, part of me felt really, it was really funny. Part of me felt kind of sad, but you know, it is what it is. 
Mm, that's funny. Yeah, that that's a I I love that story. It's it's a good one. And yeah, it it shows how all bodies are different. Like they're going to present differently when it comes to pregnancy. Like some people will have that big bump. I'm like six feet tall and my torso is super long. So if I were to have a kid, I probably wouldn't have a very big bump anyway. Right. Right. Everybody shows differently. So, you know, it's just it's just funny that we think that it's supposed to look a certain way. And it definitely did not look that way for me mm-hmm. or for lots of people that I know. And then the process of having my child and becoming a new mom and sort of that whole landscape was very scary, very new. I had her when I was 40. That's when I had, you know, my first child at 40. And so that was just a really interesting time being an older mom and my energy levels not being maybe what they would have been if I had been 30 having a baby. But yeah, learning how to feed her, learning how to feed myself during the process, seeing my body change again, it was all very humbling and fascinating and terrifying at times. (laughs) Do you feel like you got used to adapting to body changes better? Like it kind of put you through boot camp. You're like, oh, I'm so used to this now. Like, my body's going to ebb and flow. I could see that being part of it. I definitely think so. I definitely think being pregnant, having child, and then having your body change gets you more used to it. As I'm getting older and things are starting to get just like, you know, worn down in different ways and shifting and stuff like that, I think I'm better able to handle it because of that experience. But it's still hard. It's still hard. I mean, I wake up and I feel sore. I'm like, what did I do last night? Like, I did nothing. I slept and I wake up and, you know, my knee is sore. (laughs) What happened? (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Life as things go, you know, aging is part of it. Pregnancy can be part of it. Mm -hmm. Weight gain, weight loss, all of that. So now that you're a mom, what is that like for you? I know you mentioned your kitchen's vastly different than the one you had 15 years ago. I imagine you're trying to instill some positive body image values in inside the home. Oh yes. Oh yes. We are doing my husband is also a dietitian who works in the health at every side space. And so he and I are we're oh. very lucky to be on the same page around that. Yeah. Which is great. Because I think it's really hard to do it if you are the only person who's believing health at every side is intuitive eating. So yeah, we've been on the same page since the beginning. And basically we're trying to raise her, raise our daughter to feel comfortable in her body and to not be crazy around food. I don't know how else to say it, but just to not have food be this issue that it was for me when I was growing up. I remember feeling a lot of shame, sneaking food, being policed around food, having certain foods be off limits in our house. And I think that really did a number on me. And I know it does a number on a lot of my patients too. I can see that those patients whose parents were really restrictive with them around their food as kids it affected them into their adulthood. And so from personal experience, I don't want that for my child. I want her to be neutral around food and for her to enjoy food and not be afraid of it or feel like she shouldn't be able to have some or that this food is better than this food. But I know those messages will reach her eventually, but not in their house. So, Yeah. How specifically are you like implementing food neutrality inside your house? Like, do you have any examples? Oh, yeah. So I try to follow Ellen Satter's division of responsibility when it comes to feeding my daughter. And, you know, so that basically is the parents in charge of the what, the when, and the where 
and the kid is in charge of the if and how much. So mm-hmm. I give her the choices of, I provide her the food choices, you know, when we do it, where we do it. And then she chooses if she wants to eat it and how much she wants to eat of it or how little. And that has really helped quite a bit. I've also been, my husband and I both really focus on making sure that we introduce highly, I don't know what you would call them, yummy foods, <laughs> you know, <laughs> good. Uh, I don't know how she's trying, you know, just like, I, I'm it's trying not, to say, it's or fun foods or fun something. foods, you fun know, food. thing. right. I, I, I'm trying not to say junk food because that's what most people would call them. But mm-hmm. we try to introduce these really tasty foods often so that she doesn't have such a heightened response to them otherwise. Mm-hmm. So it's, I always tell this, this experience to my patients. It's really interesting. So my daughter has this little set of scales. So like, you know, like little buckets that you can put things on either side and the, and the scale will balance. And we were looking for things to put in it. And I was like, what if we did some M&Ms? Like, okay. So she just spent you know, 30 minutes just playing with the M&Ms, putting them in, putting them out, putting them out. Did not eat a single one, which <laughs> is so funny to me because when if I had been doing this when I was a child, I would have been fistful, 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 shoving them in my mouth mm-hmm. because they were so rare. You know, I wouldn't have been allowed to have them. And so it's just very interesting to see how chill she is around food. It's, I mean, it's amazing. I think that's such a great example. That's how I feel now that I, you know, now that I have food freedom and I've neutralized food, like you don't have that pull to have fistfuls of M&Ms anymore. Although I might sometimes like, it's more like you could use M&Ms as like a learning tool and you wouldn't think of it as like, I need to eat all of these at once. Right. I mean, the thing is we have this island in our kitchen and it's a little embarrassing because it has so many snacks on it. I really need to clean it. But it's just got so many different things on it. It's got candy and it's got cookies and it's got crackers and it's got chips and it's got, you know, fruit roll-ups and all that kind of stuff. And it's just so nice to have that abundance and not have it feel scary and, Mm -hmm. you know, or forbidden or anything like that. My daughter knows that she can have these things at meals or snack times and She's not going to be restricted around them. And because of that, she eats them to the point where she's satisfied and not to the point where she's sick. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of growing up there. You know, there's always like that, that cool house or the fun house that mm-hmm. like, you out at. like my friend group, we'd go to the, I guess it was like the cool house and they had so much candy out in the open, like fruit by the foot, M&Ms, Hershey's kisses, all the things. And we would be like, Amy, how do you live here without like, yeah. like, just gaining all this weight. You know, that was our talk back in the early 2000s. And like, she's just like, I just live around it all day. Like it doesn't have that pull. Yeah. I remember growing up being that kid who, you know, in my house, it was very rare to have any kind of those types of foods. And if we did, they would be gone, you know, by the next day, because all of us would kind of go towards them. But I had friends whose houses were full of all the snacks, all the cookies, all the treats, and being just like amazed and being like, wow, you guys are allowed to have this? That's amazing. Like, I'm just wanting to like spend time in their pantry. <laughs> you know, like I literally would go there for the food, like look around me, like what's new here? What can I have? That's like, exciting. exactly. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you're fostering that very neutral environment in, in the home. Have you had any challenges though with your daughter at this point? I know she's four, yes. everywhere. What's been difficult? So 
she started preschool. She actually started it last year, but this year was the first time she started having lunch there. And I knew that there would be an issue at times because, I mean, I just know what teachers and what our educational system does around food with kids. And so it didn't take long for me to find out that her teachers were pressuring her to eat her lunch in a certain order and to start with you know, the real quote unquote food first and then have the fun food at the end. Cause I always pack her with, you know, sweets, some kind of sweet. So whether it's like a few chocolate chips, M&Ms. Today I sent her with a Kit Kat that she got from trick-or-treating last night because, you know, <laughs> and, but she told me that they were saying, you need to eat your carrots and your, your sandwich first before you can eat that mm-hmm. other stuff. And so you know, we had a little talk with the teachers. My husband and I, both dietitians, said, listen, we understand this is coming from a good place. Obviously, you're just trying to make sure she's getting enough to eat. In our household, we, you know, follow this division of responsibility and we provide her with these foods and we allow her to eat them in whatever order she wants and however much she wants. And we'd really appreciate it if you guys could do the same. And so they were open to it, mm. which was great. But, you know, she does come home sometimes. She says, is this healthy? Is this, I'm like, why are you worrying about healthy right now? <laughs> like, we don't talk like that in this house. And so she is, it's starting to get in and she's only four and it's kind of scary, but yeah. Yeah. The outside world has a huge impact and it's very clear, especially if she's been raised with two anti-diet dietitians in the home, coming home, asking about healthy foods. It's like, she's picking this up somewhere. Yeah. And, but Yeah, that's really interesting. Have you ever had any moms or dads? I guess I've heard a lot about mom shaming. Does anyone like make you feel bad that you're letting your daughter have all the sweets first? Or have you just been lucky in that? Well, I think there's a a couple of things going on there. I don't hang out with a lot of moms. (laughs) You know, like, so that's part of it. I don't expose myself to a lot of that possible mom shaming. But when I do, I'm very clear about it. And I just say, listen, this is what we do in our house. It's cool, whatever you want to do in your house. But that's just how we talk to our daughter. And most of the time I get a pretty good reaction or if that's like, oh, that's refreshing. That's nice. I like that. You know, it's hard for me not to be worried when I hear other parents talk to their kids around food at functions and things like that. But, you know, you just got to sort of hold your tongue. (laughs) Unless someone says, what do you think about that? And then I will tell you what I think about that. (laughs) Are you sure you want to (laughs) know? Yeah, you just opened it up. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Oh, wow. So it sounds like the food stuff you really have unlock as far as parenting goes. What about the body image? Especially, I feel like raising a daughter and having had your own body image issues in the past, do you have any fears with that or any, what? like, what's your struggles and how are you managing that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think one of my main goals as a mother to a daughter is to instill in her that her body is a good body and that it doesn't matter what her body looks like. It's how she feels in her body, how she uses her body, and the content of her character. You know, those are the most important things. She is in this wonderful age of just thinking everything that her body does is amazing, and she's just the cutest. So currently, she has an obsession with her belly button, which (laughs) is just the funniest thing ever. She calls it her Bebo, and that's actually from a book. There's a book called The Belly Button Book by Sandra Boynton. And in it, you know, the the little character called the belly button the Bebo. And that's what we just always called her belly button. 
And she just loves like poking it out, you know, sucking in her stomach and then making it big again and doing a little Bebo dance. And she gives us Bebo bumps where like she'll <laughs> pump our belly buttons to each other. It, <laughs> it has been amazing to watch her just like be fascinated with her body and think that it's great. And she'll, you know, she'll say, mommy, look at my legs are getting so big. Like, mommy, look at, you know, my Bebo. <laughs> and it's just the cutest thing. And I don't want her to lose that. And I know she will, as she gets into puberty, things will change. And as she hears more from her peers, things will change. But right now she's in that sweet spot of my body is awesome and I love it. And I just want her to be in that space for a long time. Mm. Such a magical little space to see, I'm sure. It is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the Bebo dance. Oh, I know. <laughs> Do you have a plan or have you been thinking about puberty at all? I know she's far away from it, but you know, that would be on my mind as as a mother, I'm, I would think is like, how do we handle that phase where oh, yeah. a lot of trauma happens just like with the rapid change and all of that? Oh, yeah. I think about it and I, you know, think, well, I've got some years to think about that, but I also realize that time goes by pretty quickly and I will need to think about that sooner than I would like. I think one of the things that I have sort of been thinking about is really wanting to limit her access to social media. Because I feel like that makes a huge difference in how people feel about their bodies. Not just teenage girls, but everyone. And I know that I'm very grateful that we did not have social media when I was growing up <laughs> in the dark ages. Because I think that would have made my situation much more difficult. But I think really being mindful about what she consumes on social media is going to be something that I definitely am going to pay attention to. I have some books and some resources. You know, we actually have a book now that we read fairly regularly. It's, you know, about body diversity and things like that. And so I'm trying to get that instilled early. And I know that there are other resources as well for teens about just body neutrality, body positivity, being comfortable in your body. And so I would really like to do that with her and, and use the right terminology for things, all that kind of stuff. It's hard. There's a lot of stuff that you could do, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to think about. And it's just really daunting, especially how fast technology changes. Like what in eight to 10 years from now, when she's going through that, what's going to be different about technology anyway, and social media and how do you even stay on top of that as a parent with phone addictions and everything? I already, I have low-key stress about, like, if I had a kid, when do I get them a phone? <laughs> yeah. You know, my husband and I have had these discussions as well. And, you know, I definitely have an, a, a bit of an attachment to my own phone. Uh, I am slightly obsessed with TikToks, which is kind of embarrassing because it's definitely not for my age demographic. But what I find is that when I'm on TikTok, I'm basically looking at that positivity. My feed is fat positivity, fat positivity, fat liberation, kitty cats, and then more fat liberation. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like funny cat videos. And then, <laughs> so it's mostly just like positive stuff, which is helpful for me. And so I think you can use social media in a way that's like for the good. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I don't know when we're going to, I'm like, should we not get her a phone until she's 21? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I do think you have a good point. Like, the social media use can be like an asset or a liability. It depends on how you curate your own feed and like are mindful around the use. And so, yeah, I think it's all about how you're using it and the community that you're creating with it. You know, I, I connect with a lot of other 
that positive practitioners on Facebook. And so it's nice to have that community and feel less alone in the work that you do. So that's like the positive side of social media. I, I couldn't get rid of it because then I would lose my connection to all these people. But yes, there are dark sides as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, do you have any like top tips for parents who want to cultivate body peace and acceptance inside the home? You've actually probably shared, you know, there's books and resources. Mm-hmm. Anything you would want to add? Oh, that's a big question. I think if you can educate yourself and really work on your own body food issues before trying to work on it with your kid is important. And I think we all have issues around food and body because of the culture that we live in. So either working with a therapist or a dietitian or a counselor or something to work on your own feelings around food and your body is a really helpful thing to do. I think also looking into the division of responsibility by Ellen Satter in terms of helping your kid become a competent eater, I think is a wonderful thing. It's made such a difference for me. And then really modeling for your kid that their body is a good body, that all foods fit, and that, you know, there's not one right way to have a body. I think that's really important. Kids pick up on everything. And if you are restricting or, you know, monitoring how you're eating, they will notice. Mm-hmm. Why is mommy doing that? So you got to walk the talk. Mm. I was just about to ask you because everything you're just saying is so important. But what about the people listening to this podcast who are in the thick of an eating disorder, who are parents, who like maybe they're not even sure if they'll ever be able to fully heal their own relationship with food in their body? Like, how would you navigate that? If any, I know your experience is different than theirs and vice versa, but how might you suggest someone approach that? Oh, yeah, that's tough. I mean, having never had a like real diagnosable eating disorder myself, I can't speak from personal experience. I can just speak from the experience of working with patients who dealt with eating disorders and disordered eating. But I would say continuing to work on your own recovery, continuing to see your therapist, to see your dietitian if that's what you need, and to work on your own body image journey, all body image issues any sort of internalized fat phobia that you might have. I know that it's hard. And the thing about eating disorders, I'm not sure that they ever go away. You know, I know some people think that like, they feel like they can be cured and that, you know, they're in remission or whatever. But I feel like in the current culture that we're in, it's really impossible to be impervious to the messages that we get about bodies and food. So I think it's an ongoing struggle for many, many people. I would just say, don't give up. Keep working on your own stuff as much as you can. Try not to exhibit to your children what, you know, your eating disorder tells you to do. And I know that that's really hard and mm-hmm. it's a struggle for so many people, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel like it would be so difficult because even if you are modeling as best as you can inside the home, food neutrality and stuff, there's always that energetic thing that kids pick up on that isn't even really, it's just sensed right? Yep. Like yep. anxiety with food or something like that. So I just have a lot of compassion for people in that position too. And I think your advice, which is just keep working on yourself, going to therapy, healing your relationship with your body and food. It's like really great reminder to all those parents listening. Yeah. And you know, all you can do is the best you can do. And you know, your kids are going to be okay. Your kids are going to be okay. They, you love your kids. They will be all right. They want a healthy you. 
they want you to, to be feeling good in your body. And that's the most important thing. That's what I would say. Oh, I love that reminder. (laughs) That's so good. So very helpful advice. I do have one last question I wanted to ask you. And it's kind of like, could have asked this in the beginning, but it just came up. Like, so from a dietitian standpoint, what do you have to say to parents who want to put their kid on a diet? Ooh. I'm like, well, really, how, how really long is your content? I have a lot of things to say. Okay. <laughs> this is what I would say to any parents considering putting their kid on a diet or trying to get them to intentionally lose weight. I understand where you're coming from. I understand that we are in this society where the childhood obesity, quote unquote, epidemic is scary. And, you know, we've been taught to fear our child gaining weight or body changing, things like that. Take a breath. This isn't the answer. What I would say is not send your kid to a dietitian. I wouldn't say that. I would say have yourself talk to a dietitian or a therapist who is well-versed in health at every size and intuitive eating and to help you deal with your own fat phobia. Because, I mean, it makes sense. We all swim in the soup, right? We're all swimming in the soup together where we've been told that fat is the worst thing you can be, that it's unhealthy, that there's certain foods that are good for you and bad for you and all that kind of thing. And we need to help ourselves unlearn that before we can give that to our kids. And I would also say, trust your kids' bodies. They're going to do what they're going to do. Our job is to provide them with enough food and enough opportunity for movement and sleep and all those good things. And their bodies are going to do what they're going to do. We really don't have as much control over them as we think we do. And the more that we try to tamper with their bodies, the more likely that things will get awry and -hmm. that they will have a worse relationship with food in their bodies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very wise. Thank you for all of that. I love the emphasis on you cannot really control your child's body as much as you think you can, right? Yeah. I mean, I I have this saying that I say to some of my patients, like body gonna body, like your body is gonna body. It's gonna do what it's gonna do. Yes, there are certain things you can do to make me shift things here and there a little bit in the short term, but really your body is gonna do what it's gonna do. Mm -hmm. And we need to embrace that and lean into it instead of fighting our bodies at every step. Yeah, I completely agree. I actually have a similar term. I don't say it too much, but I, I do. I have said it in the past and that is your body doesn't care about your skinny dreams. <laughs> yes. Your, your body has no idea about what's what's happening. It just is like, dude, can we just be chill here and eat regularly and move our body? Like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, like the body is like, what? I thought I was like starving. You're just trying to have like some thin ideal life that's not real. Okay. Right. Like I was in starvation mode. I thought I was shutting everything down so that we could survive the famine. But no, okay. You just want to get into your skinny jeans? Cool. cool. <laughs> I love it. Oh man, Joanne, this has been such a pleasure. You are an incredible human. It's been nice hearing about your approach to raising your daughter and your own story with, you know, discovering health at every size and that liberation. So I truly appreciate it. Before I let you go, is there anything you'd like to promote or share with the audience about like what you're up to these days? So, you know, 
We are not the most active people on social media. We've, we've tried, we've, you know, tried to do the whole posting things and things like that. And it's just not something that we are adept at. We have a practice. We see our patients. We do have a newsletter. So, you know, if you want to go to our website, it's soulmannutrition.com and you can sign up to be on our monthly newsletter, which, you know, has some fun little tidbits. But yeah, we're not really doing anything new. We're just trying to continue the work that we're doing and to learn more about health at every size and that liberation and just give our patients the best care that we can. Well, fabulous. I'm sure that newsletter is just gold. And thank you again for being on the show. I appreciate it. And I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank you so much. It was great. Mm-hmm. 